Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. Today is Lazarus Lessons Part 4. We're the conclusion. We're finishing up the Lazarus story, John eleven forty-five to 57. And it reminded me, this whole story reminded me of, of, of a zombie show uh, that just came out. <laughs> fear of the Walking Dead. Fear, fear of the Walking Dead. Fear of the Walking Dead. And the whole premise of this is, I'm not telling you you should watch it, but, but if you do, the whole premise is that the dead come back. But the problem is they're really still dead. That's the problem. But this one, we're going to see fear of a... Ah, <laughs> uh, he was on top of this one. All right, there's zombie, there's, there's me, there's the zombie. Okay, there you go. There's me, the walking dead. That was good. How'd you do that? All right, anyway, he didn't even know I was going to talk about this. But anyway, that's what I'm talking about. Now, we will see fear of a walking man, a walking dead man today. And it's not my picture up there. It's going to be fear of a walking dead man. And he's going to shake everybody else up today because he's not dead. He's really alive. And not only that, the person who brought him back to life is going to really freak out the religious leaders because of his power that he has. And we're going to see that today. We've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark. We're up to Mark chapter 11, the triumphal entry. But before we go into that next time, before we go into that, we went and spent a little four weeks in John chapter 11 because it's an event that precedes, a parallel passage, an event that precedes the triumphal entry. And to really understand why the people are so excited and why the religious leaders are so upset, we have to look at this story in John 11 with the story when Lazarus, when Jesus brings him back from the dead. We saw that last week. And today's the conclusion to show why the two divergent responses are going on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for getting us all in here today. I know we had a lot of obstacles this morning. It was like an obstacle course. But also, I'm sure throughout this whole week, there's been many obstacles to each one of us making it here for worship and for your word and for this time of fellowship. We know that your Holy Spirit has a purpose for each one of us, why we're here. You want to speak to us through your word. We pray that your mercy and grace would would move in our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm going to pick it up with verse 38 just to set the tone. We actually did those verses last week, but we'll lead right in. Verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. 
What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize it is better for, the, for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the desert to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple area, they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? But the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. So we see in this passage four very different responses to the resurrection of Lazarus, which is really a picture of the responses that we're going to see to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A very short time from now, we're moving into the, the final walk Jesus walking the final walk here and Lazarus is really a prequel to what Jesus is going to do with his own resurrection and this also is a picture of the responses to Jesus Christ's resurrection throughout history and even today which is the sequel our life is the sequel what we're going through let's look at a few of the responses here first of all verse 45 see if you can pick them out Therefore, many of, there's the first one, verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. What is the first type of response we see to the resurrection of Lazarus? They believed, they put their faith in Jesus. They realized that he had to be God's son to be able to do this, right? The same thing happened after Jesus' resurrection. Many put their faith in Jesus after his own resurrection. This is once again a prequel, what's going to happen when Jesus' resurrection. But we see the same thing. In fact, his own apostle, Thomas, who, who had some doubts, as we all know, but he also had courageous faith, as we saw a few weeks ago. In John 20, 24, it says this. Same picture of someone putting their faith in when they see the resurrection of Jesus. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when, they, when Jesus came. So the other disciples told them, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the power of the resurrection. It's still the same today. Today it's still the same. Why we put our faith in Jesus Christ is because of the resurrection. The resurrection is what our faith is built on. That's the whole thing. Uh, Simon Greenleaf, I'll read you a little article here. Simon Greenleaf, I'm going to just read what I underlined, died October 6, 1853. He was agnostic who believed that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was either a hoax or a myth. Greenleaf was the 
uh, a, the principal founder of Harvard Law School and a world-renowned expert on evidence. Challenged by one of his students one day to consider the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Greenleaf set out to disprove it, but ended up concluding that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was indeed a fact, not fiction. Being a man of conviction and reason and in accordance with his conclusions, Greenleaf converted from being an agnostic to a Christian. His life and works went on to inspire such scholars as Josh McDowell and several other ones. Josh McDowell has really written up a lot of his arguments. Greenleaf's most famous apologetic is an essay entitled Testimony of the Evangelist Examined by the Rules of Evidence Administered in the Courts of Justice. He applied the evidential rules of his day. This is the court of law, the United States Court of Law. He applied those rules and he concluded while he was trying to disprove the resurrection, he concluded that the admissible evidence emitted thereby was sufficient to prove in any fair court of law in the United States that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was indeed a fact, not a hoax, myth, or fiction. In short, Greenleaf reasoned that the copies of the original Gospels extant existing gospels were at least as at least as authentic as other works of antiquity the authenticity authenticity of which was acceptable in the court of law that the veracity of the testimonies contained therein was demonstrable i could never be a lawyer by internal and external examination and that the most plausible and most reasonable conclusion to be drawn, therefore, was that Jesus Christ was not, not only lived and died, but that he arose again from the dead, could prove it in the court of law. Why else, Greenleaf surmised, would twelve disciples, not to mention the Apostle Paul, give up everything they had, or could possibly ever had, on this earth, all but for John and Judas, obviously, to face an executioner's death, Certainly no man would do so for a lie, let alone all 12. Yeah, maybe one of these dodos would die for a lie, but not all 12 of them would die that way. U.S. Court of Law, he, this is expert, turned to Christ because of the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a historical fact. It's also the foundation of our faith. This is what separates Christianity from all other religions. I got a Christmas card once. I never forgot it. It said, what's the difference between Christmas and Buddhismus and Mohammedmus and Confuciusmus? And I opened it up and it said, Easter. That's what sets it all apart. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Have you put your faith in the resurrected Jesus Christ? Have you given your life to him and put your faith in him? Have you taken that step? There's a second response. Second response is back to John 11 is in verse 46. Look at this one. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. What's the second response? Tattletales. They tattletaled, right? All throughout the gospel we see people saw the same thing as the ones who believed. 
but we see a whole different group that tattletales. They don't believe. They tattletale. They, they, we see this spy network used by religious leaders all throughout the Gospels. They're trying to catch Jesus doing something that they could arrest him and kill him for. And they're telling on Jesus. You can just, I just would love to be a fly on the wall. You know, have, have this on video, just so we hear the video early. I'd love to hear the video on this. Okay, we got something else on Jesus. This is what happened. There's a dead guy in the grave. And he, he prayed to God, called his na- the dead guy's name, and he came walking out. Yeah, yeah, okay, then what? Well, that's it. What are we going to use this for? That's not going to do us any good. How are we going to get him in trouble for this? He didn't do anything wrong. You know, imagine, this is making it worse for us. You can imagine, right? There's nothing negative. But they were tattletaling. They, they, were, so, they were so blinded. When, when our own kids tattle, I'm sure none of your children tattletale, but when our kids do, we try not to encourage it or act on whatever they tell us because we don't want to encourage it, right? Sometimes we do use the info. Okay, I'll admit that. But, but, but we don't. Usually because we don't want to encourage what's behind it. What's behind that? Competition and animosity, right? That's what's behind tattling on siblings, right? We don't want to encourage that. It's the same with these guys. It's exactly what's driving these religious leaders and their tattletales. Their motives, their true motives are exposed by their response. It shows they're not seeking the truth, but their own agenda. Let's look at their response, starting with verse 47, where it says... Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas spoke up. One of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. So the chief priests and the Pharisees call a meeting of the Sanhedrin. That's 71 elders. It's the the high priest and 70 other elders. 71 elders that, that ruled Religiously and also legally, they ruled Israel. They, it was dominated, the Sanhedrin was dominated by religious rulers, especially two different groups. There were two factions, just like we have Republicans and Democrats. They had the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And these two religious groups were at odds with each other, but they ruled the Sanhedrin. They were bitter enemies, the Sadducees and Pharisees. They disagreed on just about everything. The resurrection of the dead, they disagreed on. The Pharisees believed in it, and the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They, they, they disagreed on everything except for their hatred of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And why this is really crazy, that the chief priests and the Pharisees call this council, is it's really enemies bearing the hatchet. You know, the saying, war makes strange bedfellows. And because the chief priests were dominated by the Sadducees. At this time, the Sadducees had the upper hand. They were the chief priests. They, they dominated this. Even the high priest was a Sadducee uh, right now. Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the son of Annas, the former high chief of the high priest. He was removed by the Romans in 1580, but he's still pulling all the, the, the strings because he's the father-in-law of... Annas is the father-in-law of Caiaphas. Now, it's ironic that the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection 
Because that's exactly what Jesus came to do. Right? Here's the Sadducee, the high priest, fighting against the resurrection of Lazarus, going to fight against the resurrection of Jesus, don't even believe in the resurrection, and Jesus puts it in their face with all these resurrections, right? And that's exactly what he came to do. But the, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Caiaphas did not believe in it. But interestingly, they have found what is very, very likely Caiaphas's tomb. They found his tomb and his casket real fancy thing and his name on it and it's very very likely there's some discussion but most likely they have found his tomb they found his his, actually his bones and inside of his casket they found some bones but most of them were turned to dust but where the head of the skull was supposed to be they found a little coin little coin and the archaeologists were studying this trying to figure it out and they figured out what it was at this time there was a pagan ritual that, it was, that when someone died, they wanted to make sure they could get over the river Styx. Styx, you know, it was the, the, the mythical river crossing over. And, and the only way they could cross is if they had a little coin to pay to cross that river. So here we have the high priest of Israel with a little coin stuck on the back of his throat in his tomb. So he could cross the river Styx. Cover, hedging all his bets, right? He doesn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. But, but just in case, he makes sure he has a little coin there to get over the river Styx. This is the high priest of Israel. He didn't turn to God to get over that river, right? The River Jordan is what it really is. That's the picture. He didn't bow his knees to Jesus, the Son of God. No, he swallows a coin. It's crazy, isn't it? That, that, that's how apostate, that, 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 that shows you how apostate the religious system had become this man-made system they had built up over God's law and God's teachings and it's said that a Sadducee could be a high priest it shows how apostate it had become it shows why he wanted to kill Jesus he had no he didn't have a spiritual bone in his body right and now he didn't want to kill Jesus he wanted to kill Lazarus too look at John chapter 12 verse 9 Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. They had seen what Jesus had done in Lazarus' life. And that's what was reaching these people. They saw the resurrection power in Lazarus' life, and we're coming to Jesus. Convicting for us, isn't it? But these guys are like, it's like watching The Godfather, right? You know, these hitmen, we're going to kill Jesus. Hey, go kill Jesus. Hey, go kill Lazarus. These guys are hitmen. It's crazy that they're the religious leaders of Israel. Now you know why they wanted to kill Jesus. Verse 47 and 48, they admit, look at what they admit here in verse 47 and 48. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. They admitted he was performing miraculous signs. They admitted he was performing miracles. They couldn't deny it, but they still wouldn't believe in him. We've talked about this, haven't we? That miracles don't bring anyone to faith. They just expose faith. 
Remember we talked about that all the way through the book of Mark. They don't bring people to faith. They just expose faith. The issue is never proof. You know, the miracles and the proof. It's never about proof. There's no doubt there that about God. There's got to be a God. There's no doubt that Jesus was his son. Look what he did. Look at his life. Look at his miracles. Look at his teaching. He proved he was the son of God. The issue is the heart. And Jesus came to expose what was in the heart. Either faith or rebellion against God. That's what he came to do, to expose it. It reminds us of another story of another Lazarus. You know, the other Lazarus in Luke chapter 16. In Luke 16, Lazarus uh, 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 dies. Remember, the, um, the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus dies, a different Lazarus dies, but a rich man also dies. And Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom, which was uh, paradise at that time, heaven at that time, before Jesus' resurrection into to, uh, the heaven, that's the final heaven. But Lazarus went, the rich man, I'm sorry, the rich man went to hell. And listen to what he says in hell. He's saying, verse 27, he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. The real problem isn't proof. And it was backed up, wasn't it? Because of Lazarus, the other Lazarus, resurrection of the dead. It, who, there was a resurrection of a Lazarus. It didn't matter. Jesus came back from the dead. It didn't matter. The real issue isn't proof, but rebellion. No miracle can touch a hard heart. That's why when you're witnessing to someone, if you're sharing your faith and you're witnessing, it's important to get trained in apologetics. Chuck Harrison does all the training of the apologetics. It's super. We should get trained in apologetics but not so that we can argue somebody into the kingdom of God. It will never work. You cannot argue somebody into faith. We don't learn apologetics so we can argue somebody and, and convince them they're wrong and get them to become a Christian. No, we do it so that if somebody is truly searching for God and truly searching for his son Jesus Christ, that we, we can answer those questions that might be an obstacle to someone who's truly searching. Their heart is really open, and we help them come to faith. That's what apologetics are for, to help the one who's really searching to come to faith. That's what it's there. And why wouldn't the religious leaders believe in Jesus? Verse 48, why wouldn't they believe? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Our, our, our. It's politics. They're afraid that popular Jesus would get the nomination, <laughs> run for president, right? They're afraid of that. Trying to do all they can do to, 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 sub, to, to torpedo that. They're afraid he'd get the nomination. There would be a popular uprising, and then Rome, which would, Rome would, would crush it somehow. What was their real fear? They would lose their place and their power. That's what they were concerned for, their place and their power. And it's ironic, after they executed Jesus, in 70 AD, Rome crushed Jerusalem anyway, and they did lose their place and their power because they had rejected their Messiah. Jesus prophesied that that would happen. You rejected me, the Son of God, your Messiah. Rome is going to crush you. 
They chose slavery to Rome instead of freedom in Christ. Verses 49 to 53. So they plan to kill Jesus. They make the plans to kill Jesus. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up, you know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. They plot to kill Jesus. 2,000 years later, nothing has changed, has it? 2,000 years later, nothing has changed. In the USA today, the world and its religions are still trying to kill the name of Jesus Christ, still still trying to deny Jesus Christ. They're still trying to silence those who live by his resurrection power, aren't they? And it's not just, think of the USA Today, that's what they're trying to do in this country today, trying to silence the name of Christ and try to silence those who have experienced his resurrection power. That's us as Christians. And I'm not just talking about the radical Muslims out there. Not all Muslims are radical, there's some really nice Muslim people. But there's a lot of radical ones and they hate Christians and they hate Christianity, no doubt about it. But it's not just them. The bigger enemy is the apostate church in this country. The apostate church is doing a lot more damage to the country and to, to the Christian faith that in the USA today. And, and also there's this whole culture of intolerance that is trying to silence. They're using intolerance to silence the Christian witness, prosecuting and persecuting Christians for their religious, religious beliefs. You can't even bake your own cake anymore and run your own business without losing that business, right? It's crazy. And how about this lady who's this marriage license, big uproar down in Kentucky, Kim Davis, you know, she's got put in jail. And if you, if you really read the story, what they're not reporting, and she never tried to stop anybody from getting these marriage licenses. Did you know that? She didn't say, you can't get the marriage license. She just said, I won't sign it. Have somebody else in this organization who believes in this to sign it. I can't in good conscience do this. But that wasn't good enough. She would write it up. She just wouldn't sign it. That's the only thing she did wrong. She wouldn't sign it. She said, have anybody else here? There's a lot of other officials. Let them sign it. No, that was not good enough because we must offer your, you must offer your sacrifice to Caesar. You must bow down to the image of gold we have set up. Or else, don't be surprised. Expect it. Expect it in increasing measure. We've been warned. Jesus told us just a few, just a few chapters after this. John 15, John 15, verse 18. Listen to what Jesus said. This is our warning. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. They don't know the one who sent me. Somebody says, well, I believe in the supreme being, but but I don't, you Christians... They don't, know the, they don't know God. 
the Jewish person says, I just, I believe in God, you know, and, and the, the one true God, but I don't like, you know, the Christians. That's, they don't know the one true God. The Muslim, God is one, you know, they believe, you know, in the, the, the one God. But they persecute, persecute Christians, they don't know the one true God. There's no such thing as, well, we all worship the same God and we're all one big brotherhood. We don't fit in that because of what Jesus said. We are the only ones who worship the one true God. And you want proof? All the other groups don't like us. That's the proof. And I'm not saying because I want to be arrogant about it or anything. No, please. No. We have nothing to brag about. It's all God's mercy and grace. But the truth is they don't know the one true God. And they can only find him through Jesus Christ. And unless we know that, we are not going to be able to speak the truth in love and help people find the one true God. Very, very important to, to understand that. Now back to Caiaphas, verses 49 to 53. It says here, John says, he's a prophet unaware. He was a prophet and he doesn't even know it. He's also very rude. You know nothing at all. Josephus, the historian, wrote how rude the Sadducees were. They were known for their rudeness. But it was prophetic as God's high priest, God spoke through him. He overruled him. Even though he's this corrupt, rotten guy, not in heaven today, but God prophesied to him. He overruled him. Just like Baal. Remember when Baal was trying to curse Israel and God overruled him? And every time he tried to curse him, God would speak a blessing on Israel. Same thing with the donkey. Balaam's donkey. You know, God spoke to the donkey. Overruled. Yeah. God, God can overrule anybody. He can overrule a donkey. He can overrule this donkey, Caiaphas, right? And, and Jesus, he, God spoke through him because Jesus' death did save not from political trouble, but from sin. The greatest crime in history resulted in the greatest blessing in history. God overruled. Which leads us to an important question. Who killed Jesus? Who killed him? Did the Jews kill Jesus? Think of history and the persecution of the Jews because they, they're the Christ killers. What a horrible, horrible lie. No true Christian could ever believe that. It's impossible. Who killed Jesus? Well, let's look at Acts. It tells us very clearly. The Bible tells us who killed Jesus. And Acts chapter 4, verse 27, tells us very clearly. Yeah, Caiaphas had something to do with it. Uh, but some other people did too. Verse 27, indeed, this is the apostles preaching. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Who killed Jesus? We all did. Yeah, Jews and Romans and Gentiles. We all killed Jesus. Not only that, we all killed Jesus. It was our sin. The Father sacrificed his son for our sin. And, the, and he voluntarily sacrificed him. And Jesus voluntarily submitted to that sacrifice. In Romans 4.25 it says, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. It was our sin that killed Jesus. Remember that. We all killed Jesus. Our sin killed him. He, but he voluntarily died for us. No, no passing blame on anybody else. It's the finger is always on, our, on us, right? One more response I want to mention before we close in prayer. In verses 55 to 56, we've seen three responses. Here's the fourth one. In 55 it says, 
When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple area, they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast? What is the last group? Seekers. Seeking. They were seeking Jesus. They were seeking. They were seeking to know the truth. They wanted to figure out what was really going on. And the result of this true seeking was what we already read in, ch in chapter 12, verse 9. Look at what the result of the seeking was. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there, and they came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. They find Jesus now, right? Verse 10, so the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him... Many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. The result of this true seeking is that they found Jesus and they put their faith in him. Their faith in him. And now we see we're set up for the triumphal entry next time, two weeks. We know now why the crowds were gonzo, excited, and we know now why the, the religious leaders were so angry. They had murderous rage because of this. My question before we hit the triumphal entry is this. What is our response? What is your response today to Jesus Christ? Are you seeking? Are you seeking with an open heart? Are you... There's a promise in God's word. If we truly seek for God, he's going to make sure that we find him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says... You will seek for me and find me when you seek for me with all your heart. And some of us have taken longer than others, but if you keep seeking, it's a promise that you will find Jesus Christ. Are you ready? Maybe you are seeking. Maybe you're here today because you've been seeking for God and you're realizing who Jesus is and you're realizing what it's going to take for you to become a child of God and have life here and life forever with God someday. And, and are you ready to put your faith in Jesus? Just as these people finally found Jesus and they put their faith in him, are you ready to put your faith in Jesus Christ? It doesn't take a religious ritual. It doesn't take a religious person to help you. It doesn't take anything. It takes a prayer of faith. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Are you ready to put your faith in Jesus Christ? You can do that right now. You can do that right here. You may already be a Christian. You might be sitting here and you're already a Christian. I know many of you are. There's something here for us too. The triumphal entry was the first coming. We know that the second coming is coming soon. We're hoping at least, right? Because the way things are shaping up prophetically, we're, we're seeing the, the second coming. We're, but as we see the second coming, we're seeing the same intensity of opposition. Just as Christ, his opposition increased as it came closer to the triumphal entry, resulting in his crucifixion, we know that there's going to be increasing opposition to Christ, true, Christ, true Christians as the time of Christ's return comes. And I really believe we're seeing that worldwide. There's more martyrs now than there's ever been in history. It's incredible. Over a million a year. They don't report it. It's not in the media. But there's over a million Christian martyrs a year. It's increasing in intensity. And we've been warned in Matthew 24, Jesus talking about his second coming says, in Matthew 24 he says, 
in verse 9, starting with verse 9, then, this is Jesus talking to us, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. All nations. That includes the United States of America, if we're still here. Verse 10, at that time many will turn away from the faith and betray each and hate each other. Talking about apostasy. Are we seeing apostasy? You better believe it. Verse 11, And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. We're seeing it, aren't we? Worldwide, we're seeing it. It's not just ISIS. It's not just communism. It's happening in the United States. It's taking on new words and new meanings. It's taking on words like tolerance and other names, but it's still the same persecution tools that the enemy is going to use, that God's allowing. But remember, God is in control. None of this is catching God unaware. Jesus isn't going to be surprised what's happening. He's in control. We only need to live each day in faith, in knowing that he's going to work everything together for his good purpose. Even if we are entering the times of Matthew 24, which is a very, very good chance. I'm not setting dates, but it's a good chance we're seeing the signs, right? God is in control and he'll work it all for his good purpose. And I'm just going to close with this story because I just think it really brings it up. I saw it in one of the magazines on persecution a few years back in North Korea. There's no country that experiences more persecution than North Korea. But it says here, a young North Korean man walked into his home. His face was obviously troubled and he refused to look up. The title is A Martyr's Light, A Glimpse into North Korea. I believe it was in Voice of the Martyrs. His mother said, what's wrong? He said, I was with my, one of my best friends today when two police officers approached us. They grabbed my friend and accused him of being a Christian. One of the officers knocked him to the ground while the other took out his gun. My friend didn't get angry or curse anyone. He didn't even try to defend himself. Even as the gun was pointed directly at him, his face remained peaceful. He looked straight into my eyes without speaking a word. I knew what he was saying. He wanted me to believe the same thing he did. And then he just said, bless them. He was executed right in front of me because he was a Christian. I do not even know what a Christian is. I don't even understand any of this. His mother said, I understand. The young man's mother said, I understand. Perplexed by his, his mother's response, he said, how could you possibly understand what they would kill my friend for? She slowly began to tell her son about the Lord Jesus Christ, how he had miraculously been born of a virgin and crucified on a cross to save all those who would believe in him. And she continued sharing with her eldest son. She began to sob. She couldn't go on. She felt the pain of never daring to tell her son about Jesus Christ, lest his fate would be the same of his friend. She also felt overwhelming joy of knowing that God had not forgotten her son, but allowed someone to bring him to the gospel. 
Finally, she told them, God allowed you to witness the martyrdom of one of his brave children. As those bullets hit his head, a seed of hope was planted in your heart. The son prayed that night and received Jesus Christ into his heart. Then he said, what about my brothers? There were several, three other brothers. And so when they came home, they started witnessing to them. All three of them also accepted Christ. The mother was filled with joy. Although she had never dared to speak to her children about her Christian faith, she had diligently prayed for them every day. Now that her children had accepted Jesus, she began cautiously looking for a Bible so they could read more of God's word, but she couldn't find anyone. Finally, she's, the oldest son crossed into China secretly and, and found some Christians, found some uh, people, voice, voice of the Martyrs. They said, we need Bibles. So the Voice of the Martyrs printed 5,000 copies of their miniature Korean Bible, sent it back with this young man, they write, the light and witness of one martyr led to the immediate conversion of four souls and a new missionary effort in North Korea. All of these brothers are now actively sharing their faith, knowing firsthand the consequences that they are caught. God is in control. We just have to live by faith. No matter what happens in our country, no matter what happens in the world, no matter what happens in our church, no matter what happens to us personally, let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, how is the Spirit of Jesus speaking to us. Are we ready? Spiritually prepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ? Do we believe God is in control? It's hard, isn't it, when we are facing struggles and difficulties and stress and crisis and trials. But do we now understand and believe that God is in control in this world, in this country, in our church, in our lives, in, in every area of our life, do we believe He's in control? Are we living by faith? Just as we're saved by faith, are we living by faith? Have you been saved by faith? Maybe you've been seeking God and a relationship with Him and you're finding it now through Jesus. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus? Have you ever given your life to Him? You can do that right now. A prayer from your heart to God's heart. Just say, God, I believe Jesus died for me. For my sin. 
so that I could be your child, God. I believe in him. That you've made, that you've made a way for me to be your child, to be reconnected with you, God. I believe that. I believe that he rose from the dead to prove he was your son. The only one who's ever done that. I believe in him. I repent of the sin and all the garbage in my life. I turn away from it. I ask you to forgive me. Because I'm putting my faith in Jesus, your son. If you have prayed that prayer, or if you do pray that prayer, you have just been given life in Jesus Christ. His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is going to live inside of you now and going to change your life. And not only life here on earth, but you've been given life forever with God someday because now He is your Father. You now have a, an intimate relationship with the only one true God through His one Son. Jesus Christ. And your life will never be the same. I want to encourage you to let somebody know you've taken that step of faith. Maybe you have a friend here or a family member or fill out the card in the bulletin, stick it in the box, email, call, tell me on the way out. Let somebody know. Let me know. Let somebody know so that we can be excited for you and help you in your new life in Christ. Father, I pray for each one of us that your Holy Spirit would take your word from today and would accomplish in us what you're trying to accomplish, whether it's salvation, becoming a Christian, whether it's being ready for your second coming, if it's just living out our purpose here, a holy life, and living out the purpose that you've called us to live. We pray for that conviction in Jesus' name. Amen.